0: PDTs are not the only thing at all from a digital therapeutics or digital health perspective to pharma. It goes way, way beyond this. It goes beyond the pill, beyond the drug. It goes into the combo. It goes into the data. It backward integrates into the development cycle from research to commercialization to real-world evidence generation. So for pharma, I think they're all in just in different ways at different times, uh, no different than kind of the early PDT developers that have been at different phases at different times under different conditions. Welcome to Digital
1: Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borovich. I thoroughly enjoy bringing you discussions with incredible industry leaders in every episode, and it would mean a lot to me if you could rate the podcast in your favorite player and hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. Today, I spoke with Michael Pace, CEO and founder of Palm Health Co. In this final episode for 2023, Michael and I rewind back this year and touch on many of the happenings in the DTX industry, lessons learned, and where we see things going in 2024 and beyond. Enjoy this holiday season, happy new year, and we'll be back in 2024. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael. Michael, welcome back to the DTX podcast. I appreciate that you actually looked up when you were on this, which is crazy to believe that was in June of 22nd and episode 27. So we're not going to go into all the details about your background. For the listeners here, they can refer to episode 27, go back and get all the nitty gritty details about Michael Pace. However, would love for you to refresh us all very quickly who you are. And also, while we did ask about your fun fact, time has passed, so I don't know if you have another fun fact to, to report on to the audience. That would be wonderful. If not, we just move right into the discussion.
0: Thank you, Yuji Great to see you again, and thanks for inviting me back. In the spirit of yours and Marina's uh, business, I'm going to describe myself a bit as a coach today because that's really the nature of my work and a bit of a commercialization and market access coach for health tech development. trying to bring the realism of the market and the customer base to bear in the context of making important uh, strategic and tactical decisions to bring health technology ultimately to patients. So I'm the founder of Palm Health Co. We've been in business since March of 21, uh, but I'm also a bit known as being a pair therapeutics alumni as well, which I'm quite proud of. And I think the industry and I have a lot to take from that experience and to carry forward as we try to put uh, clinically validated health technologies in patients' hands. Gosh, I wish I could say I've gotten uh, more interesting somehow in the past 18 months, but I'd be lying. And if my wife ever listened to the podcast, she'd be sure to plus one that. So I don't know. How about this one? I actually used to play drums in a punk rock band. So there's a fun fact for you.
1: Awesome. There you go. And your wife and my wife both. I think I will be pleasantly surprised if she listened to this year's DTX podcast. This is going to be our last episode for the year of the DTX podcast. And that's part of the reason why I wanted you back. I love how you described yourself as a coach to a lot of these health tech companies that are going out there in uncharted territories, even though they've been more and more so charted. But as we're finding out, there's many things just don't go right, though many things do go right. So I thought that you and I can kind of riff a little bit and just rewind the year of, you know, as many happenings as we can and not to inundate our listeners with hours of discussions in Tim Ferriss style. I'll probably kick this off. I mean, you mentioned Pair and being an alumni of Pair. And, you know, I believe Pair was the first DTX or maybe one of the first DTX out in the public market, but also off the public market. I think Corey and team got on one side, a lot of crap for things, but also I think a lot of fandom that went into it, that paving the way for quite a lot that what has been done for the DTX industry. And I'm in, in the latter camp because the only way we can learn is from our own failures, mistakes, lessons learned. Maybe give it back to the floor, if you will, on what has industry really learned from PEAR's initial growth and scaling to its demise?
0: Yeah, a lot to unpack in that one. But some things have been said previously, also plus one, which is PEAR-approved, Another step too, but PEAR proved that physicians will prescribe digital therapeutics to their patients. Patients will use prescription digital therapeutics in the way that they were intended. And some payers, in fact, payers across all channels in the U.S., with the exception of fee-for-service Medicare, have paid and reimbursed for prescription digital therapeutics. So PEAR did prove that prescribing usage and payment reimbursement can occur for PDTs. And in fact, they were scaling that reasonably well towards the end. It's just that we had inverse curves on on both burn rate and revenue that didn't achieve. Pair also, we learn a lot too, because Pair's journey really, for me, underscores so many things that the rest of the industry needs to Grab hold of, not let go of, and be extraordinarily passionate about. And that's things like advocacy and evidence generation. And organizations and industries that fail to understand or understand too late how important both of those things are to shaping a market, to building trust amongst all potential stakeholders, it's perilous journey. I'm not saying in any way that pairs peril is a result of not doing any of that. Pair was on its own, basically doing that for an entire industry with, albeit, one would say, pretty well funded for a digital health startup, but also not really well enough funded for an entire global industry. So I think we have to keep that in mind and fair balance that there was a lot of money, but there was a lot of work to be done. And in fact, a lot of accomplishments. So I think that that it's important for us to recognize that.
1: Maybe just building on it, which is the discussion that I had with many guests on this show and off the record, on the record, but similar discussions around standalone digital therapeutic versus virtual care model that bundles digital therapeutics in the care pathway. And if we think about what just transpired with, and you can explain a lot more on this, on uh, with Pursue Care, that is now either licensed or purchased some of those assets from paratherapeutic, which is a total care model in addiction space. I'm curious on your thoughts there. Is that where we're heading?
0: Well, there's no question that we're seeing uh, numerous leaders and pioneers, pivots and business models as well for DTX who so meant to be and intended to be standalone, either FDA authorized prescription digital therapeutics or other digital therapeutics that have wrapped around that a variety of other services and of course become providers in their own rights, contracted into payer networks, and are performing multidisciplinary virtual care activities, right, on behalf of sponsors. We see that in numerous circumstances. We saw even the initial launch of Swing Therapeutics, Stanza, PDT. Their go-to-market was via virtual care company, so never took a traditional approach from day one. Stanza was authorized in May of this year, and their go-to-market was absolutely a virtual care company. We've seen that most recently in the great work that Aaron continues to do coming out of Behavior, its merger with Oxford VR, but now turning itself into Ferncare into another virtual care, really virtual first oriented organization with DTX at the center of it. And, and that shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us, meaning Therapeutics have always been inside the cabinets of physician practices. They haven't only been on pharmacy shelves or in a hospital. They've always been in the cabinets of physician practices. So why shouldn't a DTX be in the cabinet of physician practice, brick and mortar or virtual? So these things continue to happen. I'm seeing a variety of XUS DTX players that are also showing uh, significant interest in uh, virtual care, virtual first go to market. Models in the States, some of the DIGA manufacturers, for instance, that have really led the way and understand quite specifically how hard the trail is, even in an environment when there is a 100% reimbursement opportunity in the market, but still need to generate the scale capability for precision prescribing. So I think we'll see more of that, Eugene, and there are more examples than what I've mentioned.
1: Yeah, no, for sure agree. And I love your comparison of the cabinet, right? And a virtual or physical one, but it still is. And there's a lot of different therapeutics in that cabinet, right? And this is, again, to a proven point, it's not either or, and it could be a combination of both digital therapies as well as molecular therapies that what's the right path for that patient and the pathway. Let's touch on another early company, I've had Eddie on this show twice, right? So I think your thoughts and comments on, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Akili was the first one that really sort of publicly moved towards the OTC model. And we've reminded numerous times on this podcast and elsewhere that OTC does not mean DTC as in direct to consumer. There's still a an approval path there. So maybe a combination of your thoughts on the OTC move by Akili and I think more to follow. That's my two cents on it. But also Eddie stepping down, right? I mean, he's been at the helm of it driving what I still would say a revolution to a certain extent and prescribable
0: game. Well, first of all, another Boston-based PDT company, one of the early pioneers, you know, over a decade into this business, amazing vision, visionaries in Eddie and and many others in the industry, Ed Cox, Corey McCann, and numerous, numerous others that have been uh, more than a decade pushing these things forward with different modalities, different targeted therapeutic conditions. And here's a, an example of a well-funded company, goes public, does it via a mechanism that hasn't proven to be very positive mechanism for shareholders, at least to date, maybe that will change goes to market in a traditional PDT-oriented uh, way and finds itself at a point in time, its own point in time. I don't believe that anyone's journey is the same at all, and we shouldn't look at them uh, that way at all. But for Achilles, its journey started to look a lot like PEARS. Its runway was different than PEARS. Its timing was different than PEARS. Achilles had the benefit of being running second and watching what was happening at Pair. And that also, I think, gives any company that is running uh, shotgun, so to speak, or in the draft, the opportunity to consider other options that and test other options that may be better for them at that time. And I think the organization, Eddie and uh, now uh, new CEO, Matt Franklin have been very candid in their earnings calls about the fact that this is the right thing for Achilles today because it's the right thing to put these products in the hands of people that can benefit from them as soon as possible, as efficiently as possible in a way that that can occur. But that doesn't in any way forego the opportunity or the potential to revert back into a clinically mediated go to market through providers and physicians and in fact i think the us healthcare system generally prefers that sort of healthcare providers and payers for sure but that being said at this time in this way they've been clear about that decision uh, if you're an investor you're much happier with the q3 earnings than you were with the q2 earnings 5x revenue growth you've seen a lot of downloads you're seeing conversion you're seeing a different operating model. So you're seeing gross margins being higher. And that's just a choice for entrepreneurs to make. So I applaud the organization for being decisive, for taking a chance for testing and producing a pivot. And for Eddie, what a great entrepreneur and leader uh, he was. And I think after 10 years, it doesn't surprise me one iota that it's time to move on and to find other things.
1: And I'm sure he would even joke around that the Q3 earnings was a, you know, kind of somewhat, I I wouldn't call it a parting gift, right? I mean, he's still the president and even chairman of the board. We
0: learned a lot from them. We learned a lot.
1: No, for sure. Right. And I I just recently had, uh, you know, others in the ADHD market on this podcast. So there's other entrepreneurs that uh, I like your shotgun approach or your, your comment. We're all learning from each other. And, you know, some are just... Maybe a little bit too early, but there's, you know, certainly lessons learned. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Michael Pace, CEO and founder of Palm Health Co. Speaking of lessons learned, but also what I would call it hashtag tough market, right? And I think this is a broad market, as tough as it is, investment cycles, you know, if you look at digital health as a, let's call it sub-industry, that's tough. And if you look at the DTX as even kind of, let's call it below digital health, is even tougher, right? And so we've been seeing quite a lot of consolidation and I'll throw some names. I mean, you already mentioned Behaviour, Oxford VR, then now merging, there's a transaction with Fern Health to again, build out a virtual care with DTX at the core. We've also had uh, Limbic's acquired for, I believe, somewhere around a third of what investors have put in by Big Health and what was reported as an old stock transaction. Your reflections on this past year and the DTX market and the consolidation to date, and maybe a little bit of uh, your thoughts and expectations for the following year to come on this one.
0: Yeah, don't I wish I had a crystal ball, a better one than others. Crystal ball. Yeah, I hear you. We know it well, but holy mackerel, as I was thinking, you know, about this year and thinking about the C-suite shakeups, the venture funding drought, the unfortunate tsunami of layoffs week after week and more than one round from companies, the belt tightening activities that needed to occur, the business model pivots, restructurings, acquisitions, and unfortunately many chapter 11 filings, bankruptcies here in the States, and in fact, overseas in DTX too. So it's not as if this is only a US occurrence. It struck me that we saw a venture funding environment, I guess it, it peaked, it was like $15 billion in a single quarter. And we're on a less than a $12 billion annual run rate of venture funding at this point. And so the repercussions of that are enormous. And of course it means that what our KPIs are very different than they were some years ago. I think expectations have been tempered across the board. And of course, on the one hand, they've been tempered on the other hand, they've risen on two sides of that coin. But you mentioned limbics and Big Health. You know, I don't know that anyone is really thinking about massive up rounds. And that right now that the focus is on unicorns or whatever corns you want, like a nice corn on the cob next summer, still in business, on a path to potentially scale, making a difference for patients, I think is something to look forward to. I think anyone that's thinking about unicorns is dreaming and that's not the way that we should be thinking about things. I look at Big Health's acquisition of limbics as something that's, again, important for the world and the community. There's a Therapy in Spark RX, which I understand has now been rebranded potentially to Spark Direct, which certainly could be a uh, foreshadowing—not uh, a surprising foreshadowing to many, given Big Health's uh, non-prescription model—and been very candid again and committed to that for quite some time. So it looks as though that will see its way through into the Spark RX product, but nonetheless, anxiety and depression. Look at the Biden administration making that like number one U.S. policy priority being the anxiety and depression in our children. So thank God for those that developed Spark RX, not soon to be Spark Direct. And I hope that Big Health will find a way to bring this to market in a very successful way for themselves. Thinking about, you know, what Value, what the company, you know, the enterprise value was at the time of purchase is interesting to me, and it's unfortunate that that's how it turned out. I think if we look a year ahead, what would be really exciting would be how many children and how many families have been positively impacted by the fact that Big Health did invest in taking this product and marrying it into their portfolio products and hopefully bringing it to market successfully.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. And I like you calling out that Big Health continues to uh, kind of stay the course uh, with a non-prescription, though I know there were some rumblings on uh, FDA approvals that might signal something different, but
0: we'll find out soon enough. Authorization, that is a different story, right? And that's, I think, where you're leaning into. So Big Health's now, I think, quite specific, not surprisingly, because certainly in the States, FDA authorization is near table stakes for longevity and scalability in the U.S. healthcare system. And I think that's been recognized. The prescription, so-called friction, uh, piece of the matter is unsettled at this point.
1: You should start coming up with DTX poems like
0: prescription friction. I like that. <laughs> Sounds like a good punk rock song. You can go back to the old days. <laughs>
1: Uh, We very much focused to date, kind of standalone, a little bit of the virtual care discussions. Where do you see still pharma in all of this? I mean, if we think about one of the other pioneers, you know, David Klein and Click Therapeutics, that's been the mantra of Click from, I think, the early days is just partnering up with pharma, right? How do you see that playing out? Anything to kind of brief us with your wisdom on?
0: I have listened to David at a number of conferences this year and have a great respect for him as, again, and being one of that cadre of early pioneers and taking different routes to market, right? So the Big Healths and Clicks and Achilles and Dothera's and, and Pears, et cetera, all are leaving a legacy and building a legacy and leaving a legacy in this space, David's decided to do it through leveraging the R&D expertise and the capital available from large pharma companies who I think many would suggest continually need to reinvent themselves and continually need to leverage technology and also aspects of their business. So this whole idea of beyond the pill, which I think is, you know, a 20-year-old plus phrase, I think still exists and will always exist, right? Because pills where it started or powder, you can, whatever the route of administration of a therapeutic effect was still changes every day. In fact, it changed last week for the first time, CRISPR therapy was approved by the Food and Drug Administration. So now we can re-engineer genes, right? And we've been deeply now into regenerative medicines and the like. And I think Click has realized that pharma's deep expertise in research and development and its ability to collaborate from a translational science perspective utilizing software is another form of medicine that pharma needs to gravitate to or should gravitate to and is in many ways and his uh, clicks partnerships with otsuka who you know we we expect there could be an fda authorization of their prescription digital therapeutic for mdd sometime soon A couple deals with Barringer ingelheim a newly announced deal with Erexo this year in the SUD-OUD space, kind of following on pairs. Activity, I think, is a sign of pharma in no way pulling back on a prescription digital therapeutics idea. But it's also not, I think, and you probably see this as well, Eugene, uh, as much as anyone else, PDTs are not the only thing at all from a digital therapeutics or digital health perspective to pharma. It goes way, way beyond this. It goes beyond the pill, beyond the drug. It goes into the combo. It goes into the data. It backward integrates into the development cycle from research to commercialization to real-world evidence generation. So for pharma, I think they're all in just in different ways at different times uh, no different than kind of the early PDT developers that have been at different phases at different times under different conditions.
1: Yeah, beyond the pill, drug plus, however, we want to word it at the end of the day. And you mentioned the word data is, I think, one of the key components of that strategy as well, right? That's when paired up with a molecule. So for sure, I, I agree with you. We're going to continue seeing this. I do think we're going to continue seeing growth and that's you know differentiation for those pharma companies as well. I saw you post something around the health technology assessment, so maybe you can dive in a bit. I think that this is pretty important news that transpired in 2023, and we're hopefully going to see quite a lot around this in 2024 and beyond. But maybe you can expand on this.
0: Well, of course, for anyone in the digital health, in particular digital therapeutics or prescription digital therapeutic space, anyone that's intending to treat or manage a condition uh, health technology assessment is a prerequisite essentially for a buyer or a purchaser deciding to engage with the organization the formality of hta your listeners i'm sure uh, aware of uh, certainly even from the drug world like uh, big body organizations like nice in the uk or icer in the us have been assessing pharmacologic technology biotechnology drugs for quite some time. NICE was first to build an HTA framework for digital health technology that was actually very early, was early 2019, was the first NICE framework. So fast forward, here we are four years later, and what has occurred is uh, ICER has reviewed a couple digital therapeutics products over its tenure. It reviewed diabetes products like Omada, products way back in 2017 or 18. And actually, ISO reviewed Reset-O, Pairs Reset-O product in 2020. But there's just no way that that single organization can essentially curate value and health technology assessment for all the digital health technologies beyond drugs. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that earlier this summer, The Peterson Health Technology Institute was launched for the purpose of assessing digital health technologies. This organization, like ICER, has received uh, funding from wealthy people, from large insurance companies. It maintains a very large purchaser advisory board, which makes up large health plans in the United States, large employers looking to get to provider systems. And it's launched its first two assessments for diabetes and virtual musculoskeletal care products. So it's got a very formalized framework. It's taking input from stakeholders and it's assessing digital health technologies in essentially a standardized way, leveraging both ICER clinical evidence assessment, as well as other more uh, digital health technology types of elements like, for instance, user experience, right, Is which ICER would never evaluate for a drug but user experience for a dtht is very very important so it's highly similar in many ways in terms of assessing value in terms of assessing clinical effect and things like that what it's not doing is evaluating cost effectiveness which is quite interesting it's evaluating roi but there'll be much much more to come and i'd encourage all of your listeners to actively engage not just watch but actively engage and shape This because this isn't just a U.S. phenomenon. Nice is very active in the U.K. and this is a pan-European phenomenon that's occurring as well.
1: Before we go kind of a little broader internationally and some of the thoughts, um, you know, we've been talking about different channels and pivoting models, and I think we've talked quite a bit on this podcast around employer channel, health plan channel. But there's the quote unquote rise of the aggregators. I think pretty much most of the major health plans and PBMs have their own, you know, CVS point solution, uh, Evernorth digital formula. I think UHC has a UHC hub. Can you talk to us a little bit of what you think it means to some of the DTX manufacturers out there and where these broadly called aggregators will come in play next year to come and beyond?
0: Yeah, I mean, good point. We know that um, th- this idea of, quote, point solutions fatigue is something we've heard a lot about in 2023. I guess it almost deserves its own uh, digital health solution to, su- to support the, the fatigue, right? We can give that out to HR directors at large employers throughout the U.S. But honestly, that's what they felt. And, and many of the, the, we'll call them aggregators of point solutions, right? They're really curators. So, each of these organizations has said, what's the small set of kind of preferred vendors that, you know, we've vetted in whatever way that we have decided to vet them and and we've engaged uh, with them, contracted with them in a way that, that brings efficiency to the system and brings efficiency to the customer, their customer being large employers for the most part. And then ultimately brings efficiency to the end user too. And that's kind of the reason for these organizations to exist and how they've come to be. And I think, Eugene, we could probably count three dozen of these now, at least, uh, curators and, and aggregators, some that are really pharmacy-led. I call them pharmacy-led, the CVS Health and ESIs, like you mentioned. But of course, uh, United Healthcare's UHC hub has now come into play. Walgreens has its own fine care initiative. But then all of the navigator and care management organizations that were very quick, the quantums and collectives and cast lights and virgin pulses, et cetera, of the industry have built a massive cadre and vehicles, essentially, that are go-to-market channel opportunities for digital health solutions providers to utilize, to get activation, at least at the client level. I think the most important takeaway that I see for anyone looking if you're a point solution or you're a DTX, you're not a PDT, I often think about the funnel, right? Or where is the point of activation? And if the point of activation is with your consumer vis-a-vis an OTC model or vis-a-vis even a PDT, that's an OTC model. Or if your point of activation is with a doctor vis-a-vis a PDT model, very, very different than the aggregator employer model where your point of activation is with the employer, And now, all of a sudden, we're trying to aggregate employees, the operational decisions, the strategic choices on what type of operating mechanism you choose to aggregate end users and to support your financial model is really the key decision point for anyone. But this channel is serving a purpose. It's getting awfully crowded, very, very crowded, very difficult to really distinguish. And very few of these organizations communicate their actual evaluative criteria as well so it it becomes increasingly hard for the buyer to understand one versus the other but nonetheless they are serving a purpose for a number of digital health technology companies to gain early traction and ongoing distribution into the market yeah and
1: we'll see how a lot of these numbers to your point at b2b client activation is one thing but the end consumer, patient, user activation is a very different ballgame, game, especially through the multitude of channels that are in between. I had one more. You and I forgot to talk about politics. (laughs) (laughs) And what I'm referring to is the S3791. I know the DTA had, I think, their first summit on the Hill um, this year, this 2023, June. Yeah, that's right. And obviously, the big conversations uh, was around the Access to Prescription Digital Therapeutics Act of 2022. I think that was the original, uh, let's call it, publishing. Where do you see this going, or are we going to kind of pause and wait until the election?
0: Your political preview. I'll try not to play uh, politics, but more maybe policy a little bit. And it's my feeling, number one. I was at Pair when we first introduced the first version of the access to PDT bill. It's come a long way since then and it's really refined itself. It has built large coalitions, constituencies, the language and the operating mechanisms to support ultimately Medicare coverage, Medicaid coverage of PDTs, or really to support the creation of the benefit category to support coverage at the request of uh, CMS. They've done a really nice job there. So, I mean, essentially where are we at? There was great support across Senate and the House this year. The sponsors of the bill have never been more vocal. The sponsorship has never been more strong. There have been multiple committee hearings in 2023 with senators and representatives referring to and advocating for the act itself. From a momentum perspective, as strong a year as ever. But from a timing perspective, we're 13 days to the end of the year, and we are highly, highly, highly unlikely to have anything occur. We just need to fund the government going into next year. So from politics perspective, next year is the election year, big election year. Therefore, people will call it a lame duck Congress year. Some people will also suggest that during lame duck Congress years, they're actually good years for new legislation to actually make its way through Congress. So I think there's a fair amount of positivity, bullishness, and a lot of effort, I think, ongoing amongst the constituencies that are in support of this act, to grow the coalition, to strengthen the momentum, and to move into 2024 with a really strong degree of confidence around the potential passage of this bill or a very close rendition of it.
1: Well, let's for sure hope that the lame duck will not turn out lame for the DTX industry, and we can squeeze that in. That'd be great. Before kind of our own New Year's resolutions, I do want to touch on what's happening internationally. I know I think in March-ish of 2023, we had the French government with PECAN. DIGA keeps adding new DTXs to the list and kind of renegotiating the final pricing. Some have been kind of moved off of the, call it formulary, your thoughts of what you've seen this past year, you know, broader, maybe even outside of Europe, APAC, et cetera?
0: Yeah, I think we see the continued strong momentum XUS us as well, certainly led by Germany, but in no way other countries not having significant activities ongoing. And you mentioned France, and that's true. Korea's had a couple great approvals this year in, in the insomnia area. In Japan, we've had multiple approvals as well. The Netherlands has uh, things moving as well as some other countries. And I think if I look back on this year, I look back at, at the maturation of DIGA. I think what we saw 2022 just be this euphoric growth phase where the focus in DIGA in 2022 was number one, number two, number 12, number 32 approved, right? And it was this growing reimbursement schema where the whole world is saying, geez, I've got software as medicine. I've got a great product here. I just need to find reimbursement. And that's where I go. I go to Germany and that's what I do. That was a fantastically euphoric year. It's not to say that 2023 didn't still bring more of that as well. It did. It brought some new entries, but it was a much slower year for new Diga reimbursements. What I think has been telling is the maturation where I start to hear from all of the wonderful entrepreneurs in Germany of still many of the same issues that you face in the United States if you're a drug manufacturer around time to getting patient on product or how slow it is to get a prior authorization from a health insurance company, right? Or how disempowered a provider might be in their prescription. So some of the same operational challenges that have plagued the US kind of specialty pharma industry and DTX industry. Now, even the German DIGA manufacturers are feeling this on the ground as well, because they're further along. Many of them, we've got five, six, seven partnerships with pharma companies and DIGA manufacturers. We've got many more sales reps on the ground, many, many more, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of prescriptions being written and patients utilizing this product. So the experience base is enormous, which again gives us a great opportunity to learn. But that's the way I characterize this year looking back. It's been a year of maturation and into operations. By the way, that goes to contracting and pricing too. It goes to a developer making sure that they have enough money on hand to pay the clawback. Unfortunately, we had a bad circumstances here happen because of a payment clawback over two years based on the price negotiations. So everyone is learning. At the same time, patients are benefiting, and that's really cool. Listen,
1: I appreciate you making the time, Michael. Let's just uh, dive quicker, and it can be personal or the industry-wide. Things that maybe you want to do more of next year or you want to
0: see more of next year. I'm hoping to see a lot more humility in the market. I think we're seeing that now, and I hope that we'll see even more humility in the market. But the one thing that I want to continue to see as much as we have been seeing is the passion in the market, the passion for the patient, the passion for outcomes, the passion to bring forward health technology and make a difference you know, in human health. So for me, those are the things that I hope for um, broadly for the industry, for my health. I'm looking for a little bit of balance. And on top of that, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Barcelona because I've got a youngest daughter doing a semester overseas next year. So I can't wait to come see you.
1: Anytime. And for those that are tuning in, you'll be listening to this right before the New Year's Eve. So happy holidays. Enjoy the rest of this year. And I'm sure you'll be hearing more from us and the DTX podcast and some of these amazing individuals like Michael Pace and many others bringing you some content
0: that you much deserve. Happy New Year to you, Eugene, and to all of your listeners.
1: Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission-Based Media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player, so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Help or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borachowicz, and catch you next time.